We are on week seven. We're jumping back into our series called Miracles, God's Power to Change Your Life. We're in week seven. We took a little break last week with Michael Grant, and so very excited about being able to jump back in. We've been talking about the miracles that God does because God can do anything, but He doesn't just do anything, right? I can believe God to do a miracle, but if I believe God for something He's not going to do, then I'm just going to uh, be foolish, right? So like, should I believe God for the ability to fly like Superman? Pray. I just, if I only had more faith, I could fly. You know, is, is, should I do that? No, that's foolishness, right? I'm not going to be able to get the power to fly. Now, God could do that, right? He can do anything. He's not going to, though. <laughs> so we need to know what does God do and believe God for those types of miracles. And so we've been doing a survey of categories of miracles through the scriptures to see what are the things that God does, what are the uh, things that we see him do repeatedly. And so we've covered a bunch of different things, starting with being born again. God intervenes in people's lives, takes them off one path, puts them on another. That's a great miracle. We talked about the Apostle Paul being being turned from the way he was going. We talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the specific focus of the heart miracle, the change in your heart, going from the the dark-hearted person to a person filled with the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, those things in our hearts. If every believer had the fruits of the Spirit in their heart instead of dark things in their heart, this would be a different world. We need that miracle. We talked about dreams, visions, and the still small voice, hearing from God. We talked about the demonic and dealing with evil spirits. We talked about physical healing. Last time, two weeks ago, we talked about being saved from circumstances where the chains fell off, the doors in the prison were opened, and the captives were set free. What an incredible miracle. We can believe God for saving us from circumstances. Now, does God save us from all the circumstances? Now, we talked about Jesus, and Jesus prayed to be set free from a particular circumstance. He wanted to be set free from having to go to the cross. And he prayed to his father, Hey, if, if you could take this cup from me, that'd be awesome. But your will... And the Father's will was, you're going to the cross, but I will strengthen you so you can get through it. Sometimes the miracle is the strength to fight through the battle rather than to be set free from and taken out of the battle. So that's what we've covered so far. We're going to get into the new material this morning talking about provision miracles, miracles of provision. So let's pray and let's get into the new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord, for each one that's here. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time right now. We're all dealing with different things. We're fighting different battles. And Lord, we need something different from you, each one of us. And so I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, that you would give us each what we need to be able to take a step forward in believing you more, trusting you more, serving you better, Lord, walking with you better. Bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Amen. I should do a mega camp shout out. Mega camp starting next week, Sunday night. It's our VBS. It's going to be fantastic. I think there's information on the bulletin about that. 6 o'clock to 8.30, Sunday night through Thursday night. Yeah, that's why I'm wearing a mega camp shirt. All right. Provision miracles. Some of the most famous miracles in the Bible are provision miracles. Manna from heaven. A provision miracle. The Israelites were walking through the desert for 40 years and they were fed manna from heaven. Moses takes his staff, whacks a rock a couple times and water flows out, feeds the whole nation or waters the whole nation and all the cattle and everything. Jesus turns water into wine. This was a provision miracle. It wasn't a parlor trick. It was like 150 gallons that he turned into wine. It was a provision miracle. The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. There's miraculous catches of fish that happen more than once. We'll look at Peter's experience. He had two miraculous catches of fish, Peter did, from Jesus. And, you know, one time even Jesus tells somebody, go catch a fish and there will be a coin in its mouth and go pay your taxes and my taxes with the coin. You know, well, like, it's amazing. Repeated provision miracles throughout the scriptures. Let me give a couple of personal uh, testimonies with regards to provision. Uh, the first one would be, here we are in this building. Hallelujah for the provision of God. Now, it took hard work. It took uh, you know, believing and trusting in God and continuing forward. It took Good hearts by the people of Pine Valley Covenant for us to be able to be here and the organization, the covenant organization. But I tell you what, a new church plant doesn't get to start in a building like this without the miraculous hand of God. Four years in, we owned this property and had it all completely paid off in four years. That's a provision miracle. Now we've got the addition. I think all we have left is like tile in the bathroom, in the kitchen, and the, the hood over the stove, and this is done. You know, hallelujah, provision, miracles. Uh, just incredible. What a blessing it is to be here. And so thank you, Lord, and thank you to everyone who's worked hard and believed God for this to happen. It's a provision miracle. Lots of churches six years old are still in the high school cafeteria. You know what I mean? Or the elementary school cafeteria. <laughs> Even worse. <clears throat> Setting up chairs, all that stuff. This is an incredible blessing from God. One story I like to tell, I've got lots of provision stories, but Christmas 2010 is one of my favorites. We just... Moved to Cloquet in June, getting ready to plant the church in October. And, uh, you know, you, you, when you're not having services, you're not getting paid much. And so I wasn't getting much pay, uh, but I was getting paid. And Trinette wasn't getting paid because I said I felt like she should just work for the church, and, and, but we couldn't pay her. So she was working full-time for nothing, which is fantastic. She's getting paid now, by the way, which is another provision miracle. Hallelujah for that. Um, but it got to be time to start looking at Christmas. It was about October, and Trinette comes to me. We had a couple of unexpected expenses, and, and she said, hey, we don't have anything for Christmas. What do we do? And I said, well, let's have a meeting. Let's have a family meeting. So we called a family meeting, and I said to the, to the family, to the boys, and to Trinette, We've, we're doing what God wants us to do. 
We've submitted our financial life to God. We're tithing. We're giving offerings. We're doing what we know to do. So we can believe God that he'll take care of us. And I think he wants us to have Christmas. So we're going to believe for $1,000 to come in from unexpected sources so that we can have Christmas. And Trinette was like, what? You know, you're not supposed to say numbers. You know, then it can be wrong. You know, like, uh, like hey, no, we, we pray falsifiable prayers around here. You know, that's, that's how that goes. We're going we're gonna to step out, and then you find out what's really going on. And so prayed that with the family. Everybody went their way. And by the time Christmas rolled around, we had, I think, $1,200 from unexpected sources and a side of beef. You know, yeah. Praise God for that. That was fantastic. The beef was very helpful for me. Uh, I enjoyed that tremendously. But uh, just a fantastic thing of, of the Lord coming through and providing. And so we have these provision miracles. I'm sure there's many stories in the room of God providing, like you didn't run out of gas when you thought you were going to, those sorts of things. Um, but let's look at a specific miracle here in, in the scriptures of a miraculous catch of fish. This is Peter's second experience with a miraculous catch of fish. The first time Peter saw a miraculous catch of fish, his boat was hired by Jesus to use to speak to the crowds, and Peter wasn't a follower of Christ. And Jesus says, throw out your net, and they get so much fish, they fill two boats, and the boats are starting to sink. And Peter had heard Jesus speaking. He's like, this guy is who he says he is. And so he becomes a follower of Christ, leaves his father, leaves all the fish, and goes and follows Jesus. So Peter's calling involved the miracle of provision of a miraculous catch of fish. And so then the years go by. Peter is a follower of Christ. He's one of the key disciples. And then it gets difficult because Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus is is, uh, taken and he is tried with a mock court and the crowd just gets to decide who's guilty and who's innocent. He is then beaten, crucified, and killed. And meanwhile, Peter, if you know the story, is denying that he ever knew Jesus. Peter is afraid. Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. He says, no, I'm not. I'm willing to die. And instead, he's denying the Lord, not once, not twice, three times, then the rooster crows, and Peter runs out and weeps bitterly. He weeps bitterly because he's been with Jesus and he's heard certain teachings, like Luke 9.62, where Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And Peter's thinking of who he is. And then Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Peter was there listening to Jesus when he taught this message. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Peter was there for those teachings. And now he's denied the Lord three times. And now Jesus is dead But Jesus rises again. 
And that's where we pick it up here. Jesus is risen, but Peter and Jesus haven't made it right yet. They haven't had the talk yet. So that's where we pick it up. So let's read John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Peter was a fisherman before he got called by Jesus. Then he was a disciple. Now nobody knows what's going on. And it doesn't specifically say, but I wonder if he's going back to his old life. He's going back to his old vocation. He's going back to what he knows what to do. He's no longer a fisher of men. Now he's a fisher of fish. I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, an interesting thing about Jesus after he rises from the dead is oftentimes people don't recognize him. It's a strange situation, and I don't fully understand it because I wasn't there, but people who know him intimately don't recognize him. Huh. So anyway, the disciples don't realize it's Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Have you ever had somebody ask you an obnoxious, annoying question? If you've been fishing all night long, the sun comes up on you, you haven't caught anything, and some guy is standing on the shore, hey, you don't have any fish, do you? (laughs) No. (laughs) What would you be feeling in the midst of that situation? They didn't know it was Jesus. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, I got to tell you, these are better men than me because I wouldn't throw the net on the other side of the boat. I'd be like, you throw the net on the other side of the boat. Who do you think you are standing on this shore? You know what I mean? Like, But they throw the net on the other side of the boat. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John referring to himself. And apparently back then that wasn't an offensive way to refer to yourself. But like if I did that, hi, I'm the guy Jesus loves. You know, I mean that would be sort of a weird thing to do. But back then it was, it was just a, a self-reference. Uh, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. So they're 100 yards from shore. Peter's like, it's Jesus. I mean, Peter's a man of action, right? He's like, I'm not taking the boat to the shore. I'm just, I'm jumping in. I'm swimming to shore because here's Jesus and I haven't had the chance to make it right yet. And I need to find out what's going on. He longs for that relationship to be restored. He jumps into the water. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. 
So Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore to meet Jesus. Jesus is tending his fire. And he's like, go get some of those fish. You know, Peter is probably like, hello. You know, he wants to have a conversation. He's like, go get some fish. So Peter gets back in the boat, helps with getting the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. So this is like getting a huge paycheck. You know what I mean? This is a provision. These are fishermen. This is fish. This is cash money right here. Huge pile. Jesus asked them, come. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So Peter is like, here we are. And Jesus is like, let's have some breakfast. Would there be a little tension in that moment? You know, Peter is, he's denied the Lord. They haven't had the talk yet. Jesus is like, yeah, I know. I know what's going on, but let's have breakfast. I don't want to talk about that right now. Like, okay. So none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the first time Matt, uh, uh, Thomas wasn't there. The first time Thomas wasn't there. And then Thomas is like, you haven't seen Jesus, you goofballs. I've got to put my hand in his side, then I'll believe you. And then Jesus shows up for Thomas, and now this is the third one. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so here's the talk. They get the miraculous catch of fish. They eat. This is an hour later. I don't know. Jesus finally says to Peter, all right, let's have the conversation. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? So Jesus says, do you truly love me? That's agape. Do you love me with the God type of love? Yes, Lord, Simon Peter answers, You know that I love you, phileo, I love you like a brother. Jesus said, feed my lambs. I've got work for you. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you love me with the God kind of love, agape? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother, phileo. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me like a brother, Phileo? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Phileo. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Jesus continues talking with Peter. He says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. At the end of the first catch of fish, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Then lots of stuff happened. There was this big tension and another miraculous catch of fish, which ends with Jesus saying to Peter, follow me. Come on in. You're back in. You're in the group. 
It's all done. You're going to pay a price. Follow me. And so Peter becomes the apostle. Peter. And he is part of spreading the gospel to the rest of the world. He's the, he's Peter. An amazing provision miracle that was more than just a provision miracle. It was a relationship builder between Peter and Jesus. Have you had God come through in a certain way and it was more than provision? It was, he does love me. He does care about me. He does know who I am. That's what Peter got from this miraculous catch of fish. Now let's talk a little bit about the difference between amazing, miraculous provision experiences versus normal, everyday provision from God. This is similar to the visions, dreams, and the still small voice. There's times where God will... Give a vision to somebody. Knock them off their horse. Incredible signs from heaven. There are those amazing miracles that can happen. But most of the time, it's the still small voice. It's that little voice in your heart and you know, I should do this, I shouldn't do that. That little guiding. And it's the same way with provision miracles. There's the occasional like big deal provision miracle. Miraculous catch of fish or whatever the case may be. But then there's the day-by-day provision of God. The normal, everyday provision. And this is explained in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's look at Matthew 6, starting in verse 24, dealing with the basics of everyday provision from God. So here we go. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus spoke this to the masses. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can you serve both God and money? You, no. That's a, gnaw, a head, head shake on that one. All right. No, you can't. So quit trying. Right? It's a frustrating life trying to serve both. It's a frustrating life. So here's the deal. We want to serve God and have money. Right? If you serve God, you don't have any money. You have to serve money because money drives all these other things. You've got to have some so that you can make it a servant. We don't want to choose between God and money. We just serve God. And that's the deal. Let's read the rest of this. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Interesting, interesting stuff. This is different from the big miracles. This is the everyday provision of God, how to serve God. Let's look at some principles from Matthew chapter 6 that we can put into practice in our lives. First one, don't serve money, serve God instead. Too many Christians are serving money and they got a little bit of God on the side. We need to serve God, honor God, love God, worship God. And money can be a great servant. Did you know money can buy you a car? Money will get you a car. What a good friend money is. Money will get you a house and food and clothes, all kinds of stuff. Money is a fantastic servant. Money, however, is an evil master. It will never love you back. It doesn't care about you at all. Money is a great servant, but a terrible master. Money will take you to Africa on a missions trip. We have to keep money as our servant, not as our master. Next principle, don't worry. Trust God for provision instead. So if people get serving money before serving God... How about worrying before trusting God for provision? Do we worry first and trust God second? How many people spend more time worrying about financial issues than trusting God? You ever wonder why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? It's like, well, quit worrying about stuff. How much is that going to take off your shoulders? Don't worry. How are you guys doing? You doing good today? Feeling good? Filled with joy? Peace and contentment? Fantastic. That's good. Here's the deal. That goes into the easier said than done category, right? Don't worry. But there's a place you, we can get there. We can get there. We have to grow into it, but we can get there. Don't worry. You know why you're not supposed to worry? Is because you're worth something to God. That's what the lilies of the field and the, the sparrows and all that stuff. God wants to take care of you. He likes you. He doesn't want you to be lost and in pain and in lack and in poverty. He likes you. He wants to take care of you. So we can trust him because he wants to help us. A good shepherd is going to have healthy, well taken care of sheep. He's a good shepherd. He wants to take care of us. So don't worry. Trust God instead. God knows that you need material provision. It's not about having a vow of poverty. Some people have to make a vow of poverty because of the particular calling they've been given. I mean, that's just they're not going to make much in the thing that they've been called to do. That's fine. Uh, however, in general, what we need to do is have our material needs met because, you know, we're supposed to help the poor. Did you know that the church, that Christians are supposed to help people in need? If you're the one in need, you can't help. We have to have an abundance so that we can help others. That's, that's the idea. We're to have an abundance so that we can share, so that we can bring other people up. It's morally acceptable to have your material needs met and to have extra. 
Matthew 6.33 is the linchpin of this whole section of scripture. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, what do we seek first? Seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, and provision will come after. That's what this verse is all about. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me ask you this. If you're an employee, and you are seeking first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, what type of employee are you going to be? You're going to be an honest employee. You're going to be a hardworking employee. You're going to be someone that shows up early and stays late if you have to. You're going to be one that's respectful of authority. You're going to follow orders. You're going to do the best you can because the scriptures tell us to serve our master just like we're serving the Lord himself. And you will be an awesome employee. And you will get promoted. And then the provision will come. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You catching that? Fantastic. Because I'm going to have to preach to like 11. Make everybody wait out there. (laughs) If we mess this up, we get like James 4, 2 and 3. James 4, 2 and 3. Oh my goodness. I like quiet people. These people were harsh. Check this out. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. This is written to church people. You kill and covet. Like what? What do you mean kill and covet? Good morning. (laughs) You kill and covet. That's not like you're not as enthusiastic as you should be. Is the Bible true? It says kill. Don't shoot people. It's very important. You kill and covet, but you cannot have. This is talking about fighting your way in to get your peace. Elbowing people out of the way. Pushing people down. Killing and coveting. This is a harsh, harsh description of people fighting to get something for themselves at whatever cost to others. And this is written to church people. Verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So they're asking things of God, but when they do ask, they ask for selfish reasons. They're not asking to be able to get the financing for their missions trip. They're asking for the financing so that they can have something that makes them feel better than the person next to them. It's... It's out of line with seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, it means that we become part of the team that is advancing the gospel across this world. I'm going to give you a picture of that in the next two minutes. I'm hoping last night I told him five minutes. It took me 12. But... uh, you're, you're smart people. You come to the 9 o'clock. That means i got to get done on time. So here we go. Here's how it works with regards to the kingdom of God, basic provision for both the individual and for the church, the big capital C church, the, 
the people of God. Here's how it works. First thing, you get saved. You pledge your life to follow Christ. Everybody who is going to be a believer, you, you to decide to believe and follow Christ. So you get saved. Then you join the group so that you can do your part for the cause of Christ. Right? That's why people come to church. So that they can do their part to advance the cause of Christ, advance the kingdom of God. We want to do our part, so we join the group. Then we finance the cause of Christ through tithes and offerings. You know, stuff costs money. I was in Albania looking at a huge mosque. Huge. I'm, I mean, the thing was huge. The, the Muslims bought half of the city park from the city. And built a huge mosque. None of it came, none of that money came from Albania. It's all outside money coming in. Five churches, five Christian churches in a town of 100,000 people. That's Anglican, Catholic, Baptist, one Assemblies of God, and another one. Five churches, the AG Church, 30 people. 100,000, 100,000 people. And they're building monstrous mosques because of the outside funding. They're getting it and they're winning the battle around the world. And we're wanting to sing songs we like better. And we're losing the battle because of it. We finance the cause of Christ through tithes and offerings. That allows God to bless us financially and professionally. And then the tithe grows. Does God expect you to pay a higher percentage of tithe the more income you get? No. It's 10. 10 is 10. The whole way you make $100, tithe is 10 bucks. You make a million dollars, it's 10% of that. It, it's just the same percentage. Everybody's treated equally. But when we are blessed, then the church is blessed, and we can make a bigger difference around this world, and everybody's doing better. Then the individual is strong, and the church is strong, and God's truth goes forth. Doesn't that sound pretty awesome? There's a neglected calling in the body of Christ. And that neglected calling is the business person that tithes, who does very, very well financially and helps finance the kingdom. Sometimes when I'm depressed, do you know pastors get depressed? Monday morning, don't talk to pastors. They're, they're all like, they want to quit. It's just terrible stuff. Anyway, I think sometimes, man, I should have just gone into business and made a pile of money and given money to people who are better at this than me. You know, that'd be more effective. The truth of the matter is we need people who are called to give. And it doesn't mean that you are then impoverished. It means that you're blessed so you can be a blessing. That's a neglected calling. It's a real calling. It's an important calling. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. We've been talking about provision, miraculous provision, and day-by-day provision where we submit our financial lives to God and we follow what the Scripture says about that. And I like financial provision. You know, that's cool. We don't get to take any of that with us, right? I'd, I'd, I'd like to have a fancy car. I've got a nice car now. It's a 2004. It's clean. I like it a lot. I'm super happy with it. Um, I'd like a better one even. That'd be cool. I'd like a truck. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, other than the 95. That one's okay, but it, it's hard to start. I like, I like financial provision. It's cool. 
We can't bring any of that with us. There's another type of provision I want us to believe for as we close the service and then pray individually. And it's provision for this need that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at verses 37 and 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Would you believe, would you agree that there are lots of needs in this world? That there are people that need someone to love them. There are people that need someone to mentor them. There are people that need someone to protect them. There are people that need someone to help them out of the circumstances they are, they are in. There are people that need to hear about the Lord, who need to be taught about the ways of God. There are people everywhere, all over the place, that need the Lord. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's ask the Lord to send out workers. When this is recorded in the book of Luke, when Jesus says the same thing, the next word in the next verse, Jesus says, go. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers and go. We need to look in our own hearts and see, what's my part? When we all do our part, then it works. But if we put too much on some people while other people don't do anything, then it breaks down and the church doesn't work. So let's believe God to send workers into the harvest field and let's see what role we should take. And as we... uh, As we pray then corporately, after that, I'll invite people up for personal prayer. When it's the personal prayer time, come up for whatever need. doesn't matter what it is. You want to start a relationship with Jesus, come up and pray. You need provision, come up and pray. You've got a physical need, a relationship need, an emotional need, or you just need a blessing. You just feel like, "I, I think I should go up for prayer. I'm not even sure why. Come up and receive prayer. God does good things when his people pray. Let's pray together first, and then we'll do individual prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a good shepherd, that you take care of us, that you don't want us ragged and and sickly and untaken care of, Lord, but you want us to be in, in good condition so that we can be strong, that we can be a blessing, that we can reach into this world and be part of the harvesters that look into a ripe harvest and are able to help bring it in. Because there's needs everywhere. There's needs. There's needs in this room. And there's needs outside. There's so much to be done. Lord, send workers into your heart's field. Heal us so we can be strong. Help us to understand so we can see what's most effective. Help us to see what you've called each one of us individually to do. Lord, that that darkness in this world may be turned to light. Lord, let it be. And Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray, Father, that your love would be in our hearts, that we wouldn't be uh, darkened by the evil of this world, 
but that we would have kindness in our hearts, that we would have compassion in our hearts, that we would have love that overflows so that this world can see your love through us. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.